Alrighty. We are on our last lesson in our series called Bodybuilding God's Way. And uh, we've talked about four things up until today. We're going to talk about the last one today. There's five things God uses in our life to help us grow spiritually or to spiritually mature. The Bible, prayer, church, people in our life, whether good or bad, and today, our personal experiences. Now, have you ever asked yourself this question? And this is kind of how we're going to kick off today's lesson on how God uses our personal experiences to help us grow. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why did this happen to me? Why did this particular event happen to me personally? Every time I think about 9-11 and I think about the 3,000 some odd people that lost their lives on 9-11, I think about what must those family members that are still alive think about? Do you think they ever asked the question, why did this happen to my father, to my husband, to my mother, to my wife, to my daughter, to my son, to my grandson? To my brother, my sister. Why did that? Do you know how many people, according to the last census, do you know how many people approximately live on the face of the earth? Between six and seven billion people. Do you know how many people were in Manhattan, in New York City, the day of 9-11? Well, it was a whole lot more than 3,000 people. Do you know how many people were in those two towers that day? I don't know for sure. But I can tell you, there were a whole lot more than just the ones who died. Because a lot of people got out. With all of those people, some got out, others didn't. Why, God, why did my loved one not get out? Why did my loved one open the door and shove that lady out so she was saved, and then he died. Why? You ever ask yourself that question? You ever have experiences in your life that you wonder why it happened to you? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. Because our personal experiences are a huge tool that God uses in our life to help us to grow spiritually. So let's look at this. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to start here, beginning in verse number 3. The Bible says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance. Verse 7, And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Look down at verse number 8. We do not want to be un, want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, 
far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, Paul said, we felt the sentence of death. But look at the next phrase. But this happened. Why did this happen to me? But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. Why did this happen to me? You know, God uses circumstances and experiences in our life to help us to grow spiritually. So let's look today at the three things that we always look at. Throughout this whole series, we've taken these five things and we've looked at what three aspects. Number one, what will this do for me? I'm talking about spiritual bodybuilding, getting stronger spiritually. Okay, so what does my personal experiences, what do they do for me? Number two, how do I use them? And number three, what kind of results will I start seeing in my own personal life? So let's look at this. Number one, how does God use personal experiences in my life and in yours? How does he use these in our lives to help us grow spiritually? Let me give you three things. Number one, he uses them to prepare us for ministry or for service to other people. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3 that the God of all comfort comforts us when we go through trials so that we can comfort others using the same comfort we got. Now here's the deal. I don't have anything to use to help somebody else, according to this, until first of all, God uses it to help me. When God uses it to help me, then I know it will work for somebody else. So I can go to them and say, hey, I know what you're going through. Let me tell you what happened to me. And here's how it worked out. And here's what I did when I was going through that. How many of you have ever been through... Um, a licensing exam of some kind, and when you were preparing for that, um, you actually got with someone and talked to them about what it was like. Hey, you, you, let's say you're taking the boards for nursing. Now, if it was me, I would think you would want to talk to a nurse who had already taken them and had passed. Well, how did you prepare for this? How did you study? How did you get ready? How did you do? I mean, if you failed and had to take it four times, maybe I need to find somebody else to tell me how to study. But, but, but I would want to know somebody who's already been through this to tell me, how do I handle this? What do I do? One of the most life-changing events in my life took place when I was 13 years old. It's when my 11-year-old brother Bobby died with leukemia. As a matter of fact, when the event first happened, I did not respond the way we're supposed to, which we'll look at in just a minute. I responded all wrong. Matter of fact, I blamed God. I was mad. Little did I know, some two, two and a half years later, God would use that very experience as a catalyst to bring me to the place where I received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Over these last almost 40 years, some 38 years since that happened, I can't count the number of times God has used that one personal experience in my life almost 40 years ago to either work in me and on me or work through me to help somebody else. For example, I've literally witnessed to and encouraged thousands of people 
who had a family member going through or dying with cancer. Because I could stand in front of them and I can say, I know what you are going through. I know how you feel. Because I actually felt it. I went through it. I know what the bone marrow transplant is like. I know what chemo does. I watched my younger brother go through that and go through the weakness and go through the period where the antibodies and the white blood cells were gone and infection was a great risk. I've been through all of that. I know exactly what you're going through. Now, you may want to say, in an effort to comfort them, I understand. The truth is, if you've never been through it, and this is not an indictment, it's just a fact. If you've never been through it, you really don't understand. You've never experienced it. However, there are all kinds of things you have experienced, for example, that I have not. And you will be able to help someone in that area where maybe I can't because I don't understand. I've never been there. So one of the things that God uses our personal experiences for is to prepare us for ministry or service, to be able to help others. Number two, another thing that God uses personal experiences for is to create spiritual maturity in us. I want you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 5. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ, our comfort overflows. Notice this. Paul talks about the sufferings of Christ overflowing into our life. What in the world does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what it means. It means that whatever Jesus was, did, thought like, acted or said, or experienced, God's going to use those same kind of things in our life. Why? Because the ultimate goal is for us to be like Him. So what is spiritual maturity? Let me give you a definition. We, we've talked about it a lot over the last several weeks. So what, what do I mean when I say that I'm, I'm spiritually being more, becoming more mature? What am I talking about? Well, it's real simple. I'll put it in your notes. Spiritual maturity in its simplest form of definition is this, Christ-likeness. So here's a question. Am I spiritually mature? Well, how am I supposed to know that? Here's another question, and the answer will tell you. Am I more in my life, my character, my thoughts, and my actions today, like Christ, than I was this time last year? Philippians 2.5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The word mind there is the Greek word that means attitude or way of thinking. Do I think more like Jesus today than I did a year ago? Do I view people more like Jesus did today than I did a year ago? Is my approach to life, my priorities, are they more like Jesus today than they were a year ago? In Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29, the Bible tells us God's purpose. Romans 8, 28, we all know this. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to His purpose. But then verse 29 tells us what His purpose is. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. 
What is God's ultimate purpose for Bill Crockett? That I look, live, and act like Jesus. That I become a little Jesus in my life. Do you know where the first place was that believers in the New Testament were called Christians? Antioch. The Bible says they were first called Christians in Antioch. Do you know what the word Christian in the Greek literally means? Little Christ. That's literally what it means. Why were they called Christians? Because they looked and they acted and they lived like Jesus. That's why they were called Christians. That is God's goal for our life. So how do I know if I am maturing spiritually? Am I more like Jesus today than I was then? A couple of things that are important about that. Number one, how am I going to answer that question if I don't know what Jesus looks like? If I don't know what his attitude is or how he responded to people or how he lived his life or how he went about his priority. If I don't know who he is, then I'm not going to know whether or not I'm like him. And by the way, if I'm going to be like somebody, the greatest tool to get started is a real big life-size picture of what they look like. And that's what I want to be. By the way, walk into any bodybuilding gym anywhere. You know the, the pictures that they have in there. How about the illustrations that they have for the machines? How many times have you ever seen the picture of a guy on a bench press illustration with arms that are about two inches around and skinny and anemic? Ever seen anybody like that? Probably not. I don't want to get on this bench and kill myself if that's what I'm going to look like. You know who you see? Charles Atlas. You know why? Because I'm laying down on this bench about to torture myself because that's what I want to look like. If I do this, I think that's where I'm going. I'm trying to look like that. Well, that's what being a Christian is. Spiritual maturity is this is what Jesus looks like. This is how He treats people. These are His priorities in life. This is how He lives His life. And I want to be like that too. Now another thing we need to realize, will we ever be completely like that this side of heaven? No, we won't. So don't beat yourself up if you're not perfect. Because you're never going to be. We're, we're just never going to be that way. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about progress. Am I a little more like Jesus than I used to be? And, and can I say this? Don't get discouraged if you're not taking these giant steps. You know, when, when you first start working out and you see those Charles Atlas pictures, don't you wish you could work out for two weeks and look like that? I mean, you can work out for years and never look like that. Now, we can make progress. We can look more like that than we did when we started. We, we may never look like that. I had all kinds of them pictures when I was in the ninth and 10th grade first started lifting weights. That I wanted to look like that. I can tell you, unfortunately, I never looked like that. I looked a whole lot closer to it after four or five years than I did when I started, but I never really looked like that. Was I happy with the progress? You better believe it. Every time I lifted five pounds more than I did the week before, I was ecstatic because there was progress. That's how it is in a Christian life. 
Just make progress. And do you know where the greatest progress takes place? It's in here. And people don't see in here. That's why don't measure your spiritual growth by what other people tell you. They can't see this. And we all make mistakes, and you're always going to have critics. Don't listen to them. Listen to God. Okay. So why does God use these experiences? He's preparing for ministry. He's causing me to be spiritual mature. Number three, He uses them to strengthen my faith. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8-11, through 11, He talks about this. But I want you to look in verse number 9. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. You know one of the main reasons that God allows certain things to happen in our life is to teach us to depend on Him, not on our own personal abilities. Okay, let me ask you a question. Is that a good thing for me to depend less on myself and my abilities and to depend more on God? Is that a good thing? Well, sure it is. I mean, that, Paul said that's why God does some of these things. Because He wants me to depend more on Him and less on myself. Okay, here's a question. When do I depend more on God? When things in my life are going good or when things in my life are going not so good? Not so good. That's when we depend on Him more. You know why? Because I'm depending on myself. It ain't working. I'm doing everything I know to do. It ain't working. I don't have a choice. Have you ever heard the statement, when God puts you on your back, there's only one place to look? Up. When do I pray more? When everything's going great? Or when things are going not so great? Exactly. When do I beg God to provide for me financially? When I've got $30,000 in a savings account? Or when I got $5 in a savings account and no prospect for any more income. You see? Now, are any of those not so good situations pleasant? Nope. They're not, are they? As a matter of fact, most of us fear them. We're afraid of them. However, that's where spiritual maturity takes place. Why did Paul say his sufferings happened? So that we depended more on God and less on ourselves. That's the only way that happens. Okay? So, number one, how does God use these things? Preparing me for ministry, helping me to get mature spiritually, and to depend on Him more. Number two, so how do we use these effectively in our life? How do I take these experiences and allow them to change me? I want you to look out to the right. There is one word written there. What is it? Attitude. Attitude is everything. How many of you have ever had to take an exam in order to pass something and you failed and you had to take the exam again? Anybody ever had that happen to you? I have. How many of you had to, don't raise your hand, but had to take your driving exam more than once? I, I, I've had children that had to take it more than once. Okay? It happens, doesn't it? How many of you failed your driving test the first time and they said, you know what? We're just going to give you a driver's license anyway. I personally, as a driver on the roads of our community, am very thankful that when people fail, they don't get that card. 
I don't want you to get that card if you fail your driving test. Because you might be driving toward me one day and not realize that yellow line means you can't come on my side. There is a reason. Christianity is no different. God sends personal experiences into our life to test us. Read 1 Peter. Read 2 Peter. Read James. God allows these things into our life so that we take tests that will help us to grow mature spiritually. To get us to the next level. If I fail the test and I don't learn the lesson I was supposed to learn, what do you think God does? In His loving, gracious, all-knowing mind, He allows me to take it again. And again. And again. And again. Until I learn. Now, if the test is an unpleasant experience, would it be more beneficial for me to pass it the first time or the 14th time? Probably the first time. So how do I do that? Let me give you these four things about our attitude. When we are going through these personal experiences, you know the kind where we say, why did this happen to me? Here's what we need to do. Number one, we need to know that God is in control. Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, teaches God has the power to bring everything under His control. So first of all, I've got to know God's in control. Number two, we know that God loves us no matter what. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says nothing can separate us from the love of God. No matter what you and I have ever done, God has always loved us. For God so loved the world that He gave. He's always loved us and He's never stopped. So if God is in control of everything and God loves me no matter what, then I know He's not going to hurt me on purpose. Number three, I know that God is working His plan for my life. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13 says, For it is God that works in us to accomplish everything according to His good purpose for us. Every single thing that happens in my life, God is using it to accomplish the reason for which He put me on the earth. Now, if God does not have a purpose, then how do you answer the question, why did this happen to me? If there is no reason, how do you answer that? You can't. Because there is no reason. Why did those people die that day? What if God said, I was bored, didn't have nothing else to do, thought I'd whack out about 3,000 people. Just couldn't make nothing else to do, I was bored. Does God do that? Of course not. There is a reason why God allows things to happen. So first of all, I know God's in control. I know He loves me. I know He's working out His purpose and plan for my life. And there's two things that govern His plan for my life. Number one, it will always bring God glory. And number two, it will always be for my good. Always. First Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, teach that it's always for God's glory. Romans 8, 28 29, which we already looked at, teaches it's always for our good. So God's never going to hurt me on purpose. Whatever His plan is for my life is for my good. So, if I know God's in control, I know He loves me, I know He's got a purpose, and that's what He's trying to accomplish, then here's the question I have to ask in every situation I go through. Not, why did this happen to me? Here's the question. What am I supposed to learn? What is God teaching me through this? 
I'm taking a test to learn something. God, what am I supposed to learn? What are you teaching me? That's how we approach it. Let me tell you this. You know that there are a lot of people today that have personal experiences in their past. The experience has never happened again. However, to this day, they still respond incorrectly to that experience and it is still affecting their life. Even though it only happened once ten years ago. It's never happened again. But every time that experience is brought to their mind, their response is not, well, I know God's in control. I know He loves me. I know He had a purpose for it. So what is it I'm supposed to learn out of that? Do you know how they respond? God, why did you let that happen? I can't believe you would do that to me. It's not fair. It's not right. I was done wrong. I was cheated. And they hate and are bitter towards every person, everything, and every part of that experience. And to this day, it's still it's creating an attitude of bitterness that is destroying their life. It's because it was a personal experience that was not responded to properly. God says that when I respond to these experiences properly, it changes my life. Personal example. When my brother died, I didn't respond this way. God, why would you let this happen? It's not fair. I can't believe you'd do this. I don't want to have anything to do with you. I'm mad. I actually curse God out loud in the funeral home. Two years later, I responded differently. I responded like this. My brother didn't die again. The experience didn't happen again. I finally realized this is how you respond. God did have a reason. And He's used that experience since then to change my whole life. Maybe you're sitting here today. And the reason you're here today is not to hear this 40-minute lesson. The reason you're here today was for the last five minutes. Because there's a personal experience that you've gone through in your life sometime in the past that you've never gotten past. There's some bitterness. There's some anger. There's something inside of you that still says, God, why? Take a real good look at these four things. And, and I'm not telling you it's easy. It, it ain't easy. Try responding like this. God, I know you're in control. And I know you love me. And I know there's a purpose. Lord, I, I want to know the right purpose. What am I supposed to learn from this? Help me to learn. Try that and see if something better doesn't happen. Okay? Then, number three, what kind of results do we see? Real quick, number one, we'll focus more on others and less on ourselves. That's what Paul said. I get comfort so I can comfort others. Number two, we begin to depend on God more and less on ourselves. That's what he said. It happened so we'd rely more on Him, less on ourselves. As we respond properly to these experiences, we will actually start to see these things take place in our life, probably a little bit at a time. Not in big chunks, but I'll start trusting God a little bit more than I used to. I'll start thinking a little bit more about others in certain situations than I used to. Number three, I'll be more concerned about God's glory 
and less about my own personal gain. I'll start to think a little bit more about if I respond like this, how will it affect what people think about God rather than what am I going to get out of it? And then finally, number four, take your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 5, and we're going to close right here. This is where we're going to stop. Hebrews chapter 5, verse number 14. We're not only going to close our lesson today, we're going to close our series with this one verse. Because the result that we will see, not only by responding to our personal experiences properly, but by doing and responding to all five of these things we've talked about, the Bible, prayer, church, people, and personal experiences, this is how spiritual maturity takes place. Look at Hebrews 5, verse 14. But solid food is for the mature. Who are the mature? Look at the next phrase. Who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. How do I accomplish spiritual maturity? According to this verse, by constantly using what I've learned to train myself. You ever heard a guy or a girl who is preparing for a triathlete or something saying, well, I can't eat that, I can't do this. I'm in training. I'm in training. I am going through a period of time where I am disciplining my body to get it to a level of performance so I can accomplish my purpose in this event. Well, that's all God's trying to tell us about being a Christian. We are constantly in training as believers. And how do we train? By taking these five things and using them properly. In all five of these things, we've talked about how to use them. Am I using the Bible properly in my life? Am I using prayer properly in my life? Am I using church the right way in my life? Am I responding to people and looking at them the right way in my life? Am I approaching personal experiences the right way in my life? Am I using these things consistently if I do? Then spiritually, according to Hebrews 5, I am training myself to be able to determine good from evil, right from wrong. And according to Ephesians 5.14, that's what creates spiritual maturity. So, just as we started, we used the illustration of physical bodybuilding. In January, you will have a thousand people will be giving gym memberships for Christmas. Many by loving and caring spouses. In January, 995 of them will use their membership. By March, about half of them will still be using it. By June, 5% will still be going. The rest will have very adequately formulated profitable excuses as to why they don't have time to go. Now, you've got to come up with an excuse or you just wasted all that money. 
We laugh because we know that's exactly what happened. It's happened to most of us. Don't let that happen to us in our spiritual gym that we just created. Use these things we've talked about. Don't throw them in a book or on a shelf or in a trash can and forget about it. If we don't use it, it's not going to help. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Bless the holidays. Bless our Christmas. In Jesus' name. Amen.